Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. It was March of 1992. I I still remember it. Uh, I was at a conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in the Georgia Dome. There were thousands and thousands of church leaders and pastors. It was packed just like it would be with a football game, except that the whole floor was also filled. And we were gathered there for a few days to be encouraged, to be prayed with and for, to unite the leaders of the body of Christ. And the speakers for that event were prominent and respected pastors and Christian leaders. And and I'll never forget what happened on the second day. Bishop Wellington Boone, an African-American pastor, was speaking, and he began to recall the message from the night before from another African-American pastor, Dr. Tony Evans. Bishop Wellington said, you know, I was thinking about Pastor Tony's message, and he was, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, I should wash Tony's feet. And he was saying this because he wanted to honor him because he had so much respect for him and because he knew that the message he was supposed to deliver and a big message about the whole time together was about racial reconciliation. But he knew that before racial reconciliation could happen between blacks and whites, it also had to happen between blacks and blacks. And so he began to just affirm Pastor Tony and speak positive words about him and he began just to to honor him and as he was doing this you know he said "I, I feel like I should honor him so much so that you know I was thinking I should wash Tony's feet now do that as an act of obedience an act of respect and and you know I think I think Bishop Wellington was speaking figuratively and from there he just began to launch into his sermon And as he did, I noticed movement in the crowd. First, I saw one person get up, and I saw another person get up, and they went up to the front of the stage, and the first guy brought a a bottle of water and put it by the podium. And another guy came and brought a bottle of water, and then another guy brought a a towel. Why why he had a towel, I don't know. But he brought a towel and and laid it there, and, and and. as we began to see what was happening there, you know, the crowd began to rumble a little bit and there was some applause. And then all of a sudden somebody came from off stage and brought a chair and put it right by the podium. And then there was clapping and applause and, and somebody went over to where Pastor Tony was sitting and they asked him to come with him and they brought Pastor Tony to the chair to sit down. And and, Pastor, and Bishop Wellington went over and picked up the water and he picked up the towel and he, he knelt down at Tony's feet and he took his shoes off and he took his socks off and he began to wash and dry his feet. And while he was doing that, somebody grabbed the microphone and held it near Bishop Wellington because he was saying, again, words of affirmation, words of honor, words of care and love and respect for Pastor Tony. And then Pastor Tony 
took the microphone and as he did, he said, if we can ever rise to make Jesus Christ bigger than color, class, and culture, we can be the church and win the world to Christ. And you can imagine, at this point, the whole stadium of tens of thousands of pastors and leaders just erupted in applause. You know, what I witnessed that day was so power, I've ne- powerful, I've never forgot it because these were two well-known and, in fact, famous pastors who were humbling themselves publicly through both the act of giving a foot washing and the act of receiving a foot washing. Now, today we're going to look at the passage in Scripture which Bishop Wellington quoted while he was washing Tony's feet. And in this passage, Jesus gives you and me, in fact, Jesus gives every single person who says, I believe in Jesus, both a command and a model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's a model of servanthood. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, you can turn to chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and I'm just going to start reading here. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this passage of scripture shows us a model of servanthood, it shows us the command that every Christ follower is supposed to accept 
And we're going to look at it today because Jesus calls every one of us to be a servant. And, and in this passage, there are several important insights about how Jesus modeled servanthood and how we should seek to serve our God and one another. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Jesus' model of servanthood is sacrificial. Again, look at what it says in verses 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So he got up from the meal, poured water in a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. So the Bible tells us that God the Father had put all things under Jesus' power. In other words, Jesus was the most powerful person in that room, the most powerful person on earth. Now, of course, I think we know that intuitively, but, but seeing it in Scripture reminds us of how sacrificial this act of service was. You see, in the first century, it was customary to have a slave present at your home when you had guests over to wash the feet of people because people traveled on dusty, dirty roads, roads that would uh, probably have potholes, would be muddy. There would be animal dung there. And you know, those shoes in the first century weren't closed at all. They were open. And so people's feet would be dirty and dusty and smelly. And when you ate in a first century home, Oftentimes, you sat on the floor by a very low table, even reclined, so your feet wouldn't be below you as you sat down. They'd be right next to you and, and the person who's sitting next to you. So, this is the lowest of the lowest jobs. Generally, there would be a slave there who would do that, so I can imagine uh, we all would consider this a pretty disgusting job. And so here it is, a job usually performed by the person who has no power, the most powerless person in the room, usually a slave, and now the most powerful person in the room used his power for the good of everybody in the room, even his betrayer. He sacrificed his position of power for the good of everyone else. Now that's not the usual mode of operation of powerful people, is it? Powerful people don't use their power all the time to serve others that are less powerful. Now, I've shared the story that I'm about to share with you before, but, but I'll share it again because it illustrates to me just an important application. Uh, Pastor Andy Stanley was asked to if he would deliver a 12-minute message at the pre-inaugural service on the day of President Obama's inauguration to his second term. And in an interview, Pastor Andy Stanley said, you, you know, when I was invited, I knew immediately what I wanted to talk about. And it's this idea that people with power are called upon to leverage their power for the people who don't have power. And then Pastor Andy said, he read the passage, the one I just read before, that says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And then Pastor Andy said, as he was preaching that day, he recognized that assembled before him was a congregation of some of the most powerful people in the world. 
president of the United States, the vice president of the United States, the attorney general, and on and on and on, cabinet members who have great power. So we ask this question. So what do you do when it dawns on you that you're the most powerful person in the room? You're the most powerful person in this case in the world. And he said, I just let the question hang there. I'm looking at a powerful group of people as powerful as you could ever imagine. And then he said, I talk through the narrative, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and, and telling the disciples that they were supposed to do this to each other. And I noted how G Jesus just took away all of the disciples' excuses. He says, if, if I did it for you, you have no excuse not to do it for each other. And then he says, I went on and I talked about the tension that was in that upper room that night between the disciples because not long before this, they had been arguing about who would be the greatest disciple in Jesus' kingdom. And now Jesus has removed their excuses. So those of us who follow Jesus understand that this is the example for us. You leverage your power for the sake of the people in the room. And then Pastor Andy said, I, I turned to the president at the very end and I said, Mr. President, you have a very big room. And, and he smiled and he goes, I continued. In fact, it's as big as the nation. It's as big as our world. And then he said, my prayer for you is that you continue to leverage this stewardship of power for the sake of our nation and our world. I can only imagine saying that to someone who's that powerful. But think about it. Leveraging power to serve others is something that elected officials all should understand. Because what do we call elected official, officials? Public servants. They're supposed to leverage their office, their power, their place for those who don't have power. But leveraging power to serve others is not something that just elected officials or Jesus is supposed to do. It's something that we all should do as we follow Jesus and his model of servanthood. And in fact, it doesn't matter if you don't have a lot of power. You can leverage what you have. And you and I, we have time. We have talents. We have treasure. We have our lives that we can use to serve others. You see, being a follower of Jesus means that we're called to be servants. And being a servant is sacrificial. So think about your own life right now. Think about the people in your life. Are you serving them sacrificially? If you're married, are you serving your spouse sacrificially? If you have parents still here, are you serving them sacrificially? If you have children or grandchildren, are you serving them sacrificially? If you work with others, do you serve them sacrificially? If you're a boss, do you serve your employees sacrificially? Because you're the most powerful person in the organization. If, 
You're in school. Do you serve your classmates or your teachers sacrificially? Think about your circle of influence. And when I say circle of influence, I mean the people in your life that you know and interact on, whether it's casual or really deep. Are you serving them sacrificially? And ask yourself, how can you use what you have, your power, to serve them? So the model of Jesus' servanthood is sacrificial, but it's more than that. It's also practical. Theologians remind us that when Jesus answered saying this, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet because their whole body is clean, he was demonstrating a practical application of servanthood in both the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. So in the first century, as I've already said, the practice was, you know, a traveler when they came to your house, somebody when they came to the house, they didn't need a full bath, but because they had walked on the roads, they, they needed their feet washed. It was a sanitary reason. It was a practical reason. As I've already said, you, when you dined at those low tables in the first century, your feet would be very close to your neighbors. And I don't know about you, but if we were doing that, I would hope your feet were clean and you would hope my feet were clean. Um, so very practical reason. But there's also something, something spiritually that theologians like to point out here. They say this, this idea of only needing to wash your feet and not the whole body is a beautiful picture of forgiveness from a theological text in the New Testament. And one theologian asks some questions. How often does a person need to be saved? In other words, how often does someone need to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior? Once? Every time he or she sins, just before death, to make sure, he points out that these verses tell us that a person who has been saved, come to faith in Christ, has been cleansed once and for all. But because we're sinners, we'll need the continual regular washings of asking for forgiveness for our sins. And then he goes on and gets into the Greek and he says, you know, the first word in Greek is luau and it appears in the perfect tense indicating that it is an action that's already been completed. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved. That action has already been completed. So it's obviously talking about our union with Jesus through salvation. You've been cleansed. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the second word in that verse is nipto, and it is rendered as wash. And it means precisely the kind of action that Jesus was demonstrating on that occasion. He was rinsing off the dust and the dirt of the disciples' feet. Now, uh, so think this through. In this metaphor, a full bathing indicates our being saved, our regeneration, our, our being born again. The symbolic washings, rinsing, are the symbolism of being forgiven of our sins. So Jesus was talking about the fact that even though you and I, when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior through faith, we've been saved, that doesn't mean we won't sin again, because we will. And when we sin, we need to confess our sins to God, and we need to ask for forgiveness but remember that Jesus also said that we're supposed to do what? 
to wash other people's feet. In other words, forgive those who sin against us. So practically speaking, because that's what I'm pointing out here, who in your life do you need to forgive? Who are you holding a grudge against? Who is that person that's done something to you that just hurt so much, angered you so much, scarred you so much that you can't forgive? You know, medical people will tell you that the act of forgiving that person will do amazing things for your health because it requires an, an, a huge amount of emotional energy to keep rehearsing the hurt and hanging on to the hurt and never forgiving that person. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't think that forgiving somebody is always a once and done thing because you still have the memory you still have the scars, whether they're emotional or physical, of the hurt. So it's probably something, if you're human, like me, that you're going to need to do more than once. You may need to do it for years. So who is that person that you need to forgive? Get practical and forgive them like you have been forgiven by Jesus. So the model that Jesus gives us is sacrificial, it's practical, and it's also personal. Remember what it said in the scriptures, Jesus got up close and personal with people. The scriptures said he poured water in a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He took their feet in his hands, he rinsed them he washed the dirt off with his hands and then he took the towel and he dried their feet. He didn't stay at a distance. He got up close and personal. He took it upon himself to get up close and personal, taking a responsibility that was not his responsibility. Think about that. Pastor Mark Batterson writes in his book, Please, Sorry, Thanks, about a dream that he had. He said, in my dream, I was watching the trial of Jesus, and, and Pontius Pilate was there, and, and he knew that Jesus was innocent of the accusations being leveled at him, but Pilate was afraid of popular opinion, and so he tried to absolve himself of guilt by ceremonially washing his hands with water. As he's reflecting on that dream, Pastor Mark goes on and said, you know, the problem is, is that inaction is an action. And indecision is a decision. It was the sin of silence Mark goes on and says, in my dream, as Pilate washed his hands, I heard a voice say to me, don't wash hands like Pilate. Wash feet like Jesus. And Pastor Mark says, you know, then I woke up 
But he goes on and he writes, you know, washing feet was the job reserved, as we've already said, for the lowest ranking person in the room. But that didn't keep Jesus from doing it, even though it wasn't his responsibility. He took responsibility for something that wasn't his responsibility, and he exercised his authority with humility, and he got up close and personal, taking that responsibility. So think about that. If we're going to be in people's lives and get up close and personal to serve them, taking that responsibility, how many arguments would that end if we serve people like that? How many conflicts would that resolve if we serve people like that? How many relationships would that reconcile if we served people like that? You know, Pilate did just the opposite. He washed his hands of away, saying, it's not my responsibility. But Jesus' model of servanthood is personal. He gets personally involved, even though it's not his responsibility. You know, in my life, there have been several times when I participated in a worship service where they actually included foot washing of one another's feet. You know, a, a foot washing service requires you to get up close and personal with someone, whether you are the foot washer or the one whose feet are being washed. I've been on both ends, and it's pretty personal to remove somebody's shoes and socks and gently wash their feet and then dry their feet, or if you're on the receiving end, to have somebody do that for you. Candidly, every time I participate, it's uncomfortable. You know what? I don't want somebody to see my ugly feet. I don't, I'm worried that they're going to be smelly or dirty or have some toe jam in there, you know, and it's, it's a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassing. It's messy. But Jesus wasn't afraid to get personally involved in the messiness of people's lives, and he still isn't, even though that's not his responsibility. He takes that responsibility on by serving us so that we can know him, so that we can be brought to wholeness, and so that order can be made out of the messiness of our lives. Being a follower of Jesus is going to require us to get involved into the personal and messy ministry of serving others, even when it's not our responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that we be codependent and further someone's bad behavior, but I am saying that we serve them even when it's not our job to serve them. So the model of Jesus' servanthood is personal. It's sacrificial. And it's also paradoxical. Look at Jesus' concluding words to his disciples after he washed their feet and he told them to wash one another's feet. This is the last verse of that section. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Huh? You'll be blessed by washing other people's feet. That paradoxical statement is not the first time Jesus says something like that. Not the only time. In fact, the Apostle Paul quotes him in the book of Acts. He quotes Jesus 
when he's speaking to and encouraging the leaders of the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, we read this. Paul's speaking. He says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And then he quotes Jesus saying that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I suspect that some of you have experienced this blessing. When you've served others or gave to others, you felt a sense of happiness or satisfaction or blessing when you realized that you would serve someone, giving away your time or your talent or your treasure or whatever it was, you felt more blessed beyond what you ever did for the recipient. That's the paradox of Jesus' model of servinghood. Whatever you've given away in service to others is that its value and importance, it pales in comparison to how God blesses you when you serve others. You may be familiar with the peace prayer. You may know it by another name. It's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although he is not the author. It's a prayer, though, that captures the model of Jesus' servanthood and the paradox of being blessed by serving others. I'm going to read it to you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, despair. Excuse me, where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To, under, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. You know, there still are Christian traditions where they occasionally practice foot washing in their worship services where they get out basins and pitchers of water and towels and they wash one another's feet. One such tradition encourages Christ followers to participate in foot washing ceremonies to renew their willingness to let go of pride and worldly power and to offer their lives in humble service and sacrificial love. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to get out basins and pitchers of water and towels. But I want you to take a moment and reflect on this question. Since Jesus used foot washing to teach us how to serve others, who do you need to serve? Who do you need to serve sacrificially? Who do you need to serve practically? Who do you need to serve personally? So just pause and and reflect on who it is that God wants you to serve. Now, this would be a pretty impotent question if you didn't follow it up. So make a decision today to serve that person as soon as you can. Now, in wrapping this up, let me say something. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this message may seem interesting to you. And maybe you thought, oh, you know, 
I want to put a stake in the ground today. I, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And you can. You need to know that God loves you like he loves us all. And you need to know that for you and for all of us, our sin separates us from God. But God sent Jesus to earth to live and to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And he brought him back to life so that if we believe in him and follow him and accept his forgiveness for our sins, we are forgiven. And we receive not only forgiveness, but the the promise of eternal life. So if you would like to make that decision today, all you need to do is tell him that you believe in Jesus, that you accept his forgiveness for your sins, and that you commit to following him. So I'm going to close our time in a prayer, and I'm going to start off with a prayer for anybody who wants to, in this room or online, where they can commit their lives to being a follower of Jesus. And those phrases that I'm going to give you, you can just pray them silently, and those will be just important for you to. And if you pray that prayer, let me know. And, And then when we get to the end of this prayer time, that peace prayer that I prayed earlier, it's going to come up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you, all of us, to pray it out loud together. But let me start first, inviting anyone who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior to do so. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Just repeat these phrases back to God. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died for my sin and that you raised him back to life. And I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. And we pray, say amen to that prayer, but let me just pray for all of us. Father, I pray for every single one of us. You have called us, you've saved us, you've brought us into the family of God and you've called us to be servants. We know that's countercultural, so give us the strength to fight against the culture of the world and embrace the culture of the kingdom of God and to serve others like you serve them and us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're going to put the peace prayer on the screen behind me, and if you would, join me as we pray it out loud. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.